Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we come before you tonight, Lord. There's so many things going on. and Lord, again, so thankful that you're on the throne and that no one can de-seat you, no one can dethrone you. Lord, you are, your throne is set in heaven. And Lord, thank you for telling us in advance. The things that we read and have read, Lord, they do bring comfort to our soul, Lord. Uh, and Lord, to live in this world right now and not have an idea at all about what's going on would be very frightening. But Lord, you have not left us orphans. And Lord, you've certainly not left us here on this earth until you return, Lord, clueless. Lord, you've given us the whole picture. And Lord, we're thankful for that. But it's still hard, Lord. And so we ask that you would um, open our eyes, open our hearts. And Lord, we also pray for those around us, Lord, that have maybe heard us talking about you and talking about your word and even talking about prophecy that, Lord, this would be the time that the United States of America would return uh, to their God, for they have left you, God. That is the truth. Wholesale, they have left you. And Lord, we deserve And so we ask that, Lord, you would just return um, and bring them, bring all of us, actually, the church included, bring us to repentance and bring us to yourself again, Lord. And so have your will done tonight, Lord. Open your word to us, Lord, and settle our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to First Chronicles chapter 28 this evening. First Chronicles chapter 28. We've got basically two chapters, and we're going to be done with Chronicles, or at least First Chronicles. And just to let you know, next week, uh, keep me and um, Pastor Jeff in your prayers. Uh, we're going down to the castle in Pennsylvania to, um, to teach uh, a group of young men uh, whom the Lord uh, has touched to get involved in ministry. And uh, I'll be down there the whole week. And uh, so please keep that whole time in your prayer, if you, if you wouldn't mind. And also, uh, Pastor Richard will be sharing next Thursday evening. And, uh, but, and, um, so please keep us uh, in your prayers, if you would. And... Let's open to First Chronicles 28. Oh, what I was going to say was uh, the following week uh, we'll get into Second Chronicles beginning in chapter 1, which really is going to be exciting because we really begin Solomon's reign and it's going to take us through quite a bit there. Uh, the golden years, I, I like to think of them for the children of Israel. Uh, the golden years of the kingdom because it would be, it's kind of interesting too because as we look at Solomon's life and we're starting right now to bridge that right now because David is at his, uh, David lived to be 70 years old and that's when he died and uh, he came into the ministry or into his reign at 30 years old, he reigned for 40 years and then he passed away and of course Solomon his son takes his place. But we're going to see a bridge now going from David into, or from your perspective, going from David into Solomon, and it's kind of a, a real bummer, if I can use that word, uh, because when Solomon comes into his reign, Israel is at peace, 
God gives Solomon just an incredible amount of wisdom. And certainly, of all the kings on the earth up to that time, he was the wealthiest and the wisest. I mean, everything was going for them. Everything was going good for them. And they had peace on all their borders. It was truly a golden age, unlike any other time in their history. I think the only time that's going to dwarf that is going to be in the millennial kingdom. But any time on earth, that was it. That was the 40 years. And some of that was really good, and then Solomon kind of drifted away from the Lord and then finally came back, and we will certainly see that. But it's really unfortunate to see how something at, at the pinnacle now, you know, and then right at that moment of their, their greatest moment in history up to that point, that it just shatters, and then everything is downhill from there. And then, you know, until they're taken into captivity in Babylon, there were a few kings here and there that were good kings, reformer kings, bringing the children of Israel back to their roots, bringing them back to God because they had slipped into idolatry. And ultimately, the idolatry would be what would send them, what God would use to, um, to um, punish them, if you will, chasten them, and bring them into captivity in Babylon where they would spend 70 years. But God promised he would bring them back, and he is always faithful to his promise. To the T, he told them 70 years, and 70 years it was. And he even changed the heart of a Gentile king to bring them back. I mean, what God? I mean, we were singing that song, Holy. You know, who are, you know, who do you say that you are? I mean, you're, you're just amazing. I mean, there's nobody that can do that. To tell you in advance you're going to spend 70 years, and 70 years you spend, and then you come back and rebuild your temple. It's just unheard of. But see, that's the God we serve. He's a God of the impossible. He's the God of the unthinkable. We can't figure him out. The world can, doesn't even know him. And even as believers, we scratch our heads and go, wow, Lord, you, you really are amazing. You know, you do these crazy things in our lives, and then as a nation of Israel, think of all the rebellion and their idolatry, and he, he made promises. He stayed true to his promises. He didn't leave them guiltless either. He, he punished them. He chastened them. He would allow other nations to come in and destroy many of them. So he never let them off the hook, but he was always faithful to the remnant that believed in him. And they are here today. They came into... Israel in 1948, hope against hope, and then attacked the very next day by all their enemies. And they cleaned their clock. <laughs> I like that even better. Caught them off guard and they still beat them. And let me tell you something, folks, and I really didn't plan on sharing any of this, but as I'm considering, as we're considering everything that's going on right now in Israel, they're not going to lose. I can tell you right now, they're not going to lose. They may, many of them may be killed in, in this battle, in this war. That may be true. But they are not going to be annihilated off the face of the earth like their enemies have sworn to do. It was actually in the PLO charter. Remember Yasser Arafat? In their PLO charter, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, they wanted to liberate that area of the world from all Jews. That's what the PLO was all about. It's right in their charter. I've seen it. I've read it myself. Total annihilation, driving them all into the Mediterranean. That's their goal, and it has been the same ever since. They truly are the enemy, and they're going to lose. 
Hamas and the whole Arab world, it would, it would, do, they would be good, it'd be good for them if they got on their knees and begged God for forgiveness. Because he loves them too. But he will, and one day, when all of the Arab countries, including Russia and, per, and Iran, whenever that occurs, it may not be now, it may be a setup for the future yet, we don't really know, but when that happens, God is going to intervene when Israel is at her most vulnerable and without any way to... It's going to be interesting to see, and, and who knows when that's going to happen, there's a lot of speculation, but God is going to intervene. It's not going to be Israel's might and power. God himself is going to intervene, and all the world will know that God is God of Israel. He's a God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You can't mess with him. Can I get an amen from the church? <laughs> yeah, and, and again, don't get me wrong. I, I, nobody's bloodthirsty here. Nobody wants to see people die. But when an enemy comes against, the enemy is going to be dealt with. That's just the way it is. And, um, and pray for them that they come to know Christ and that they, the deception that they have on their heart would be lifted, and that they, they too would come to Christ. And many Jews too, because many of the Jews in Israel right now are living in unbelief. They don't believe in Jesus. Isn't that crazy? There's a, there's a remnant, but many of them, most of them, do not. So pray for all of them, actually, that they come to Christ. Amen? So now we're getting into this uh, portion at the last part of David's life, literally the last last months and let's look at chapter 20 let's just get right into it we got a lot to do here tonight so now david assembled at jerusalem all the leaders of israel the officers of the tribes and the captains of the divisions who served the king and the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds and the stewards over all the substance and possessions of the king and of his sons with the officials the valiant men and all the mighty men of valor and then King David, notice, rose to his feet. And I wonder, uh, you know, 70 years old is not really that great, of, that great many of years. Um, it's really, you're, you're still fairly young, and, and there must be something else plaguing David at this time that we just don't know about because he died. I think 70 is, a, is an early time to pass, but then again, uh, 70 back then, you know, our medical advancements and stuff have really helped us because many of us, some of us, wouldn't be here today if it weren't for those advancements. And so technology has really helped and prolong our lives somewhat. But David didn't have that. But here he is, he, and he probably is needing a cane or something. He rose to his feet. He says, hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And for the footstool of our God. And had made provisions to build it. So David was getting close to the end of his life here. And remember that the Ark of the Covenant had been moving about in a temporary mobile structure for hundreds of years. The tabernacle. It had been moving around. And so now David and Solomon would give it a permanent dwelling in the temple in the Holy of Holies. And then in verse 3, he says, But God said to me, David said, You shall not build a house for my name, because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. Now, even though God gave this covenant to David, and I have been there several times with you, but in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 16, and in 1 Chronicles 17, God gives his covenant to David. And the reason why David couldn't build the temple wasn't, in, uh, wasn't written down, at least, in those two accounts. God tells him that he can't, but it doesn't mention why. 
And so there are three different, three separate instances where David shares this specific detail about why he couldn't do it. The first instance was back in 1 Chronicles 22. We were there a while back, and it was a personal talk, remember, that David had with Solomon. In it, David reflects on how God not only uh, gave to David um, the, the reason, but also gave him the name of his son, Solomon, that he would build the temple. So in that Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7, there's some facts that are missing from that that David now tells us. And um, in the first instance we see is in First Chronicles 22. And let me just read it to you, beginning in verse 6. This is, and again, this is a personal talk that David had with Solomon. It was just the two of them, evidently, or uh, if, if there may be a few others. But then he called for his son Solomon, and he charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood. And have made great wars. You shall not build me a house, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all of his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon. For I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. And he shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. So the second instance... Uh, We just read the first one where God gives the reason why David couldn't build the temple. The second one is um, here right in chapter 28 uh, in verse 3. And that is David before all Israel um, with Solomon where David rehearses the very same thing. And the very last instance of this we see is when Solomon, uh, and this is after David's death, Solomon is sharing this same information with Hiram, who is the king of Tyre, remember, up in modern-day Lebanon, because Hiram, uh, king of Tyre, had this really great relationship with David. I mean, now, in in our modern uh, times, Lebanon and Israel are at war with each other, right? It's it's the home of Hezbollah, and they're attacking from the north, and Hamas is attacking from from the south. Um, But back at that time, they had peace with one another, and David and Hiram, king of Tyre, were were, uh, confederate with one another, and Hiram loved David. And so in 1 Kings chapter 5, we're not going to read it there, but that's another place where Solomon rehearses for Tyre, this king, and and talks about why David couldn't build a temple. So verse 4, back in our text, it says, However, the Lord God of Israel, David said, chose me above all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen Judah to be the ruler, and and of the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he he was pleased with me to make me king over Israel. Again, don't you find it interesting to see that God chooses certain individuals over others? That's his right to do. We don't always like it. We don't think it's fair. But God has the right to choose who he wants to do what he wants to do. And God help you if you get in the way of that. Because God has a plan. And he knows what he's doing. And we, we have to learn to trust him and not get all bent because it's not me or it's not you or somebody else didn't get to do it. No, he chose David and, he, he, um, and this ought not to surprise us because David was chosen by God all the way back in Genesis. 
all the way back in Genesis, even before he was born, and this ought not to surprise us because we know that God knows the end from the beginning. Isn't that the way he called Jeremiah the prophet? What did God say to Jeremiah the prophet? It's in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. He says, Before I formed you in the womb, Jeremiah, before you were even conceived, I knew you. Do you find that frightening? I find that really exciting, actually. Before he was even born, God had a plan for him. His conception was as good as done. God was just waiting. And yet people had the right to do what they wanted, the free will, but God knew. God, see, God knows. He lives outside of time, folks. He can, he, he can see the end from the beginning. That's why they call him the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. He, he knows all things. He's omniscient. So that means that he has already seen history. In fact, he's, he's, he's revealed it to us in these last days. He's told us what is yet future. So is it any big deal that he could, uh, when, Samuel, or when Jeremiah finally comes out and he gets old enough, he says, Jeremiah, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. And the same is true for you and I tonight. I love that about the Lord because I don't have anything to fear. If he, if he knew that way that much in advance, he knows me better than I know myself. And he knows exactly the seasons I'm going through. He knows what I'm going through. And he knows what you're going through. It's no surprise to him. Allow that to rapture your heart. Allow that knowledge to encourage your heart to love him and to follow him all your life. To give your heart to him completely, unreservedly. He deserves it. Because he purchased you. He loves you. He never condemned you. We condemn ourselves when we push him away, but he chose you. You're here tonight because he chose you. That's a pretty cool thought, isn't it? Even with all of our sin and our problems that we have currently, right now in this room, if we collected all of our thoughts, we'd all be shocked. God's not shocked. He's like, these are my people and I love them. They don't have it all together. They're, they're a work in progress, but my spirit is working and moving in them, and I've placed my blood upon them. I've placed, their names are engraven on my hands, as it says in the scripture, right? So anyway, the Lord God of Israel, David says, chose me. And this, and this goes all the way back to Genesis, like I said. Uh, what was the promise that, or, or what was the what, what did Jacob prophesy when he was on his deathbed? If this verse, if you don't have it by memory now, at least memorize the verse, uh, Genesis 49, verse 10. Because in it, Jacob had given his son, Judah, a prophecy concerning him and his seed after him. It says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, meaning the right to rule, the kingly rule, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh is just an epithet of Jesus Christ, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. I should say so. Hallelujah, amen, right? So, verse 5, And all of my sons, David says, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord God of Israel. And think of how this, may, how this stirred up the jealousy amongst, among David's other sons. You know, Solomon was not only young, but also considered, remember, an illegitimate child because of the sin with Bathsheba. And so David's other sons didn't really receive him very well. And we know that in 2 Samuel 15, remember David's son Absalom. Remember him usurping the throne of David uh, while David was still on the throne. Absalom usurped the throne for a season before he was killed by David's uh, nephew, 
Joab, and then later on in 1 Kings chapter 1, Adonijah, one of David's other sons, tried to do the same. But ultimately, after these attempts on the throne of David's other sons, ultimately Solomon would take the throne based upon what the Lord had spoken to David. So regardless of what these men tried to do, God prevailed. God's will prevailed. I think that's pretty interesting too. Try to thwart God's plan. You're going to lose. You're going to lose. So David goes on rehearsing to Solomon what God had told him in verse 6. He says, now he, David says, God, he said to me, it, it is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever, and if he is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments, as it is this day. And when you look, um, if you were to look at... Um, 2 Samuel, in chapter 7, verses 14 and 16, you will see where David, where he gets this language that he's using right here with Solomon. It's, um, that's where it's coming from. It's all God's promise to David, his covenant. So verse 8, Now therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, notice what David says to him, Be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children after you forever. And what I want you to see here is the accountability. Do you see the accountability here that David is doing with Solomon? Because he's got all of Israel, all the captains, everybody, all the important people are there. And he's saying, Solomon, fear the Lord and follow him and do all of his commandments and it'll be well with you. It'll be well with you. And David is warning his son, and his breath wasn't wasted, was it? Because we know that Solomon would, for a time, turn his back on God in disobedience. And I almost wonder if God just placed that in David's heart. David maybe had a word of knowledge right there at the moment, and he's warning his son from something he hasn't even done yet, but God knows he's going to do it. And this... And this whole warning of, uh, was given to Israel before they came even into the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 25 through 31, it says this. Remember, this is before they, Moses is speaking to the children of Israel, before they would even cross over the Jordan River going into the promised land. He says, when you beget children, and God is telling Moses to tell the children of Israel this, when you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will utterly be utterly destroyed. And certainly that did happen with, with Israel, with the northern ten tribes. They got taken captive. And certainly Judah did too. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, verse 27, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. He certainly accomplished that, didn't he? A lot of prophecy back here in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And then he goes on and he says, and, uh, and there in the places where you go, where I, where I scatter you, you will serve other gods. The work of men's hands, wood and stone which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell, but from there you will seek the Lord your God. And they did, didn't they? Didn't Judah seek the Lord when they went into Babylon? They sought the Lord. And notice what God says. And 
He says, and there, there you'll serve gods, and the, but from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if, there's the condition, if you seek him with all of your heart and with all your soul. And when you are on distress, and all these things come upon you in the latter days, and certainly from this point it was speaking of that time, then you shall turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will never forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them and my goodness when you when you read Deuteronomy like that and and it was sharing things that hadn't even happened yet and what God was going to do and he indeed did do those things he indeed did those things and we look back on it now with just our mouths wide open but notice in verse 9 and as for you my son Solomon know that God of your father Know the God of your father and serve him, notice, with a loyal heart. Underline heart and underline the next word and with a willing mind. Heart and mind. Notice the, David's exhortation to Solomon to serve the Lord. And notice also the order with a loyal heart and a willing mind. Do, do you ever notice that very rarely does the mind lead the heart? But usually the heart is what leads the mind. Isn't it true? You can be filled with all kinds of knowledge and your, your mind is telling you to do something and your heart won't let you. Have you ever had a situation like that? that that's what it is. Your, your heart will ultimately win. But who has got your heart? And what, is, what has got your heart? Because whatever's got your heart is where you will be led. Not so much through your mind, but through your heart. And that's why I believe David put this in that order he says, serve God with a loyal heart and then with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. Doesn't it sound an awful lot like Hebrews? Where it says, for the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. To me, that was Hebrews 4, verse 12, back here in verse 9 of First Chronicles 28. Pretty amazing. Is it the same God of the Bible, the Old Testament and New Testament? Yeah, he's the same. He hasn't changed. And then he goes on, he says, If you seek him, and there's the conditional promise, if you seek him, then he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. And um, notice the conditions that God placed upon them. And Israel and Judah continued, as we know, in a downhill, uh, downhill spiral. And both Israel and Judah would go into captivity about 116 years apart from one another. Israel first into Assyria in 722 B.C. And then finally Judah to Babylon in 606 B.C. But now in verse 10, David says to Solomon, Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary, so be strong and do it. One thing to remember as we see a command like that is that with the commandment of God, because even though David is commanding, God had told David that that was what's going to happen. So it's a commandment of God. And he says, now be strong and do it. And what we have to understand is with the commandment of God comes the enablement. 
Because a lot of people think, well, I can't do it, Lord. I don't, I don't know how to do this, right? I can't do that. I don't have those skills to, to do that or that. And God's like, no, if I've commanded you to do something, you have everything you need. You just don't know it yet. But when I get you there, you're going to be amazed because you're going to do things that you never thought were possible. And that is true, folks. I mean, many of you have been in situations like that. I, I have too. When I thought that the devil was just going to swallow me up, and then I just showed up, and God parted the clouds, and things happened that I'm like, all I had to do was show up and open my mouth, and he does the rest. I, I, don't, I don't understand that. Do you understand that? Can anybody stand and, you know, I mean, do you really understand that? It's, it doesn't make sense. It makes no sense, but God. How big is your God? Most of us serve a God this small, but do you realize that our God is bigger than the universe? He holds it all in the span of his hand, the universe. That is unfathomable, unknowable. We don't even have instruments that can go out far enough. If they go out too far, we can't get them back. And they burn up in the sun. Or they break because the cold is so intense it just breaks everything. God's like, no, I hold the whole thing right here. No big deal. I created it. Easy. So then David gave his son Solomon, notice the plans of the vestibule, its houses, its treasuries, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, and the place of the mercy seat. Notice that. And the plans for all that he had. Notice, underline this, by the Spirit. David didn't make this up. David was directed by the Spirit of God, and it wasn't David's skill or his good intentions. I love what it says in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. It's not by David's might or his power. It was by the Spirit of God. David said, I received this blueprint for God's temple. He gave it to me by the Spirit. I love what it says in Psalm 127, verse 1. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Isn't that true? And also, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. The Lord's got it under control. He's got the blueprint. He's got the plans. And he goes on and he says, and also for the division of the priests and the Levites. And we've already seen that in the previous chapters. For all the work of the service of the house of the Lord and for all the articles of the service of the house of the Lord. And he gave by weight, uh, gold by weight for things of gold, for all articles used in every kind of service. Also silver for all articles of silver by weight, for all articles used in every kind of service. The weight for the lampstands of gold and their, and their lamps of gold by weight for each lampstand and its uh, lamps. For the lampstand of silver by weight for the lampstand and its lamps according to the use of each lampstand. And by weight he gave gold for the tables of the showbread for each table and silver for the tables of silver and also pure gold for the forks, the basins, the pictures of gold, pure gold and the golden bowls. He gave gold by weight for every bowl and for the silver bowl, silver by weight for every silver bowl and refined gold by weight for the altar of incense and for the construction of the chariot, that is, the gold cherubim that spreads their wings and overshadows the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And all this, said David, the Lord made me understand, notice, in writing, by his hand upon me all the works of these plans. Pretty remarkable. Now, verse 20 
is full of Old Testament and New Testament references. In verse 20, it says, And David said to his son Solomon, Be strong and of a good courage, and do it, and do not, be, do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God, my God, will be with you, and he will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Doesn't that sound an awful like what Jesus said to his disciples before he would ascend into heaven? When he gave him the and notice and this was a daunting task. It had never been done before on this scale. The temple in Jerusalem would be one of the wonders of the world at that time. And David wouldn't have said these things if he thought they weren't necessary. He doesn't waste words, neither does God. Especially God, he doesn't waste words. But David, no doubt, no doubt was hearkening back to when Moses spoke to the children of Israel um, in, in Deuteronomy 31. You know, God said the same thing. He says, be strong and be of a good courage. You can write the reference. We're not going to go there tonight. But Deuteronomy 31, verses 1 through 8, God's, you know, um, speaking and, um, to the children of Israel. And he tells them to... Um, to go in and destroy all the inhabitants of the land. And, and he tells them to not be afraid, nor be dismayed. And I, I can't help but wonder, too, if David was also thinking about Joshua. When Joshua told the, the people, it's recorded for us in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am given to them and the, ch the children of Israel. And every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you, Joshua. I will not leave you nor forsake you. And God says, be strong and be of a good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may be able to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. And do not turn from the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. And this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Again, be strong and of a good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I love that. There's no doubt in my mind that as David is saying that to his son, he's remembering what God said to the children of Israel and what God said to Joshua. Don't be afraid. Be strong and of a good courage. I'm with you. And some of you need to hear that tonight. To be strong and be of good courage and be very courageous. For your God is with you. Whether you believe that or whether you struggle with that or not, that the truth of that is truth. He 
Here are the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God and every willing craftsman will be with you for all manner of workmanship, for every kind of service. Also the leaders and all the people will be completely at your command. Notice what an amazing undertaking because the resources were all there. The gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the marble, the wood and the precious stones, the blueprint and the plans, the workmen and the artisans to do the work that we've read about in previous chapters. It's all there. And so finally we get into chapter chapter 29. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, all of Israel is there. He says, my son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, he's young, he's inexperienced, and the work is great because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. We have to remember that worship is about God, and it's not about man. Worship is not about us, it's about him. We think it's about us, about what we get out of it. You know, when we sang tonight, was it about you, how you felt about the worship? It's not about us. It's about him. When we sing those words, we're singing to him. I mean, it's nice when we are all singing. There, there's a blessing involved, isn't it, when we sing and we're all singing in pitch? And we get, we're all singing in unison and it sounds really good and you're feeling good. There's nothing wrong with that. But it is not about us at all. It may be a sweet feeling and it's okay. Let it be a sweet moment, and it is. Praise the Lord. But it is not about us at all. It's about him. No one else is worthy but the Lord to be worshipped. No sports figure, no actor or actress, no musician, no one but God alone. Verse 2, Now for the house of my God I have prepared for, with all my might, David says, gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things of silver, bronze for things of bronze, iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones, and marble slabs in abundance. Man, can you imagine that? That's just out, I mean, just out of the park. I mean, all this material... I mean, Trump Tower is nothing. It's like a flea hotel compared to this. (laughs) Or any of those guys in Saudi Arabia, all the billionaires, nothing compared to this. Moreover, David says, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasures of gold and silver, And 3,000 talents of gold, David says, of my own. I mean, all the spoils that he had from those wars where he gathered gold and silver, that was all dedicated to the temple. But then he says, above and beyond that, my own gold and silver. 3,000 talents of gold. That's ridiculous in, in, in the amount of wealth. Of the gold of Ophir. This is good gold. And 7,000 talents of refined silver, all the impurity, you know, much of it removed. It's even more valuable. To do what? To overlay the walls of the houses. For the, the gold for things of gold and the silver for things of silver and for all kinds of work to be done by the hands of the craftsmen. Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? The idea is to consecrate is to fill in the hand, to fill the hands with. So, and, and this is actually a great question for us today, because whether you are a skilled craftsman or not, whatever your vocation, are you willing to have your hands filled to serve the Lord? Are you willing to serve the Lord in whatever you do? Or are you just kind of making a paycheck and you feel like nothing's happening? And maybe nothing is happening because you're not doing anything. <laughs> maybe, maybe going to work is just going for work. You don't see it as a mission field. 
And then you're wondering why God feels dead to you. Well, maybe it's time to get off the couch and do something about it. And what I mean by that, and I'm saying this to myself too, is begin sharing. And you got to do it, you got to be careful. You can't do it when you're trying to get stuff done, but there's moments where you're standing around a machine waiting for a machine to reboot or something like that, that you have an opportunity to talk. They're talking about the game. You can talk about Jesus. When you start making a point to think like that, that your job is not just to make you earn you an income, that it's a ministry, it can be. And God placed you there. He wants you to be a light where you're at. Will you be a light or will you not? And most people just go to work. That's it. Maybe not any of you. I'm sure many of you share, and I I pray that you do. So then the leaders of the fathers, verse 6, the leaders of the fathers' houses, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains over thousands, over hundreds, with the officers over the king's work, they offered willingly noticed. And they gave, of the work, gave for the work of the house of God 50, 000, or excuse me, 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. This is an incredible amount of wealth. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord into the hand of Jehiel the Gershonite. Remember, we read of him in uh, the 26th chapter uh, a couple weeks ago. He was among those who oversaw the treasury of the house of the Lord. Verse 9, Then the Lord rejoiced, for he had offered... Excuse me, then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced greatly. And what is recorded here, uh, going from verse 10 through verse 19, in my opinion, is some of the sweetest praise ever recorded in Scripture. I would encourage you to read it and think about it and maybe compare it to your own prayer. And not to make anybody feel bad here at all, okay? And that's not the purpose. But if you're like me, I know my prayer life can be, can be, can, can be boosted up a notch. I could be thinking differently instead of all my prayers being about me. <laughs> you know, my prayers need to be about other things too. There's nothing wrong with sharing, Lord, help me with this or that. But is, is, that all, is that all my prayer is? Or is my prayer far-reaching? Is it, is it thinking my other-centered? Am I giving praise and thanks to God? And this is what David does. And this is how it's done. Uh, let's just read it straight through. Verses 10 through 19. It says, Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. And again, he's in front of all, this, all these people. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. We sing this song. This is where Chris Tomlin got his lyrics from, right here. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you. Notice, he's extolling God, and then finally just thanksgiving. And we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we ha- you have we have. We have given you. Do you see what he's saying? He goes, we're giving all of this to you, but we first received it from you. 
For all the aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers, our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. But, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. This is so true, isn't it? That's a really wonderful thing to think about. It's, it's wonderful. I think that I earn a living and you know, I earn what I have and God is like, well, I have everything and I'm, you're doing stuff, but I'm, I'm allowing you to have what you have. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all they that dwell in it, right? I love what it says in uh, Corinthians, Paul speaking to them in chapter four, verse seven, he says, for who makes you differ from one another and just to be fair, this is in a different context, okay, this passage that I'm reading to you, but I believe the context also fits what we're talking about here. I believe the truth is still the same. And what, for Paul says, for who makes you differ from, one, uh, from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did receive, indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? The idea is that we received everything from God. And we're just giving it back to him. So David continues in verse 17. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. Notice David's honesty. And he's not boasting or bragging. You know, it's not bragging if it's true, right? That's tough, isn't it? Because people don't like when people say stuff that's true, even if it's true about themselves. Oh, he's bragging. Well, if it's true, it's not bragging. It's just truth. It's fact. As for me, in my uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now with joy, I have seen your people. Notice David's, oh, you know, I can't wait to meet David. I just, I really love this man. He's just so unique. He's, he, there was a lot of mistakes that he made, but there's so much of his heart that is just like Jesus' heart. You know, notice this. He's given a lot, and he sees the other people doing it, everybody doing it, and his heart is just overjoyed. I mean, that is supernatural. It is supernatural. And he goes, and now with joy, I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. And O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Notice he didn't say Jacob. <laughs> Jacob's name was changed from heel catcher to one who was governed by God. He doesn't mention Jacob's name, but he mentions Israel. That's the, more, the name of promise. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart toward you and give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes, to do all these things and to keep and to build the temple for which I have made provision. And again, we know that this prayer that David prayed was not in vain because Solomon would have a bout with idolatry. We're going to see that in the coming weeks. And it was due to, uh, it was in his heart, but the Bible clearly says that it was his wives, and, and he was a willing participant. But his wives led him into idolatry in, in his old age. 
It says in, um, well, let me just say this. I would encourage you to read 1 Kings chapter 11 and just read the first eight verses of that and it will corroborate David's prayer here and the fact that he's making his son accountable and, and saying stuff like, you know, Give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes, to do all these things. And David wasn't wasting his words because Solomon in his latter years fell into great idolatry. It says in verse 4 of 1 Kings 11 that it was, for it was so because Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And all of these women that he married for from all these nations all around Israel that God told Israel not to intermingle and intermarry with because they were Gentiles. And God told them, and you've heard me say it many times, I've, I've read the scriptures, you know, Deuteronomy chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 7, don't intermarry with it. In fact, I wanted you to destroy them, but now he's intermarrying with them and he's building altars for their false gods. And that's exactly what what Solomon did. And Solomon, at the end of his life, he came to his senses and he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. I would encourage you to read it. As you read it, you'll, you'll see a man who had everything. He literally had everything and he did everything. He did everything. He played around in the, in the walls in the, in the school of darkness and he played around in the wonderful bliss of God's protection and grace. And he did both. And then he comes forth and offers that to us and says, you know, it was all emptiness. <laughs> he comes back and he tells us the truth. So read Ecclesiastes from a wise man who learned a great deal. Verse 20, then David said to all the assembly, now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly, they blessed the Lord God of their fathers and they bowed their heads and they prostrated themselves before the Lord and the king and they made sacrifices to the Lord and they offered burnt offerings to the Lord on the next day. And here's what they did the next day. Notice how many burnt offerings, a thousand bulls a thousand rams, a thousand lambs with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. And so they ate and they drank before the Lord with great gladness on that day. And they made Solomon, the son of King, the son of David, king the second time, and anointed him before the Lord to be the leader, and Zadok to be priest. Now it's interesting, it says the second time, and you may be wondering, well, when was the first time? Let's just quickly look at this because this is uh, very interesting, and we're getting close to being done here, and uh, bear with me. Um, the first time that, they, uh, that Solomon was anointed king, it's recorded for us in an earlier uh, in time, earlier in time, in 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 32 through 40. And it says, And King David says, Call to me Zadok. Uh, and, and this is when Adonijah was, um, uh, I believe it was Adonijah, I believe it was Adonijah, who had, had uh, tried to usurp the throne and made himself king. And, um, and, and King David, here in his old age, he says, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king, and the king also said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and have Solomon my son ride on my mule, and take him down to Gihon. And that's a spring right there in Israel. We visit this very spring. 
And there they let Zadok, and there let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel and blow the horn and say, Long live King Solomon. And then you shall come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, and he shall be king in my place, for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. And so we'll just uh, continue to go on there. But this place, uh, archaeologists have found that exact location where they anointed the kings of Judah in the, in the spring in Gihon, and we visit that place when we go to Israel. And it's, it's really interesting. It's kind of exciting to know that you're in the place where all of this happened. You're standing there where uh, all these people that we're reading about long ago were there, and they were anointing Solomon. I mean, it's just, it gives you goosebumps. It's really quite exciting. So verse 23, Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of David his father and prospered, and all Israel obeyed him. And all the leaders and the mighty men and all the sons of the king David submitted themselves to King Solomon. So the Lord exalted Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. Isn't that incredible? There was no one like him. There was no one as exalted as Solomon was except for Christ. That's quite a heavy thing, isn't it? Thus David, verse 26. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. And the period that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron. And 33 years he reigned in Jerusalem. And so he died in a good old age, full of days, meaning 70 years, was full of days back then, and riches and honor. And Solomon his son reigned in his place. Now the acts of King David, first and last, indeed, they are written in the book of Samuel the seer. Haven't we read that in Samuel? First and second Samuel, they called prophets back then seers. And really, Chronicles, David's life, where do we first learn about that? It was in First and Second Samuel, wasn't it? And so David's life, it said, was recorded there. Also in the book of Nathan the prophet, we don't know where that book is. It's lost. We don't know where it is. And also the book of Gad the seer, another prophet. We don't know where that book is either. But we have everything we need because in Samuel it tells us everything. And certainly in Chronicles it's telling us. And with all these things, verse 30, and with all his reign, excuse me, and his might, and the events that happened to him, to Israel, and to all the kingdoms of the lands. The end. (laughs) What an amazing thing. And two weeks from now, we're going to begin in 2 Chronicles chapter 1 and really looking at the life of Solomon. But what a great run, you know? Think of it the end of David's life, so many things he learned and so many things he experienced, the good and the bad and the ugly. He learned it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He's been through it. And at the end, David right now is with his king. David is with Jesus. I love that. Even with all of his faults, even with the adultery and the murder, did God forgive him? He did. And can God forgive you for the horrible things that maybe some of us have done in this room? I've done a lot of horrible things in my life, and I'm so glad to know that those things are washed under the blood of Christ. He'll never look at them again. And I I pray that you know that to be true of yourself. If you are a believer in Christ, don't waste time 
cataloging your, your failures and your sin in the past, no matter how wicked they are, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're, it doesn't matter what it is, how twisted and wicked and whacked, it doesn't matter. You confess it and be washed in the blood of Christ and be renewed, right? I pray that you all know that because it'll set you free. And if you're not free, it's your own fault, right? We've got to come to Christ. Come to Christ and be free. Be set free from your sin and allow him to forgive you and place it all. He's already placed it all on his back when, when God the Father, the Bible says that Jesus literally, the, the sin of the world was placed upon him and God judged it once and for all. Every single sin, every evil thought, every evil deed that anyone has ever done or ever will do was judged once and for all. And all we have to do now is to look upon that sacrifice and say, I believe in Jesus and I believe in his holy blood paid the price in my place and my sin was atoned for. It's called substitutionary atonement. And all throughout the Old Testament, that's what it was leading them to. The sacrificial lamb. What do you think that was for? It was a picture of what ultimately would happen to the lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Those slaughtering of those lambs and bulls was substitutionary in the place of those people. But now that Christ has come and has been sacrificed, once and for all he was sacrificed. No more, any more blood needs to be shed for sin to be atoned for because it's already been done. All we need to do is by faith receive it and accept what Jesus did. It doesn't get any better than that. And see, that's what Christianity is, folks. It's the greatest thing. So what do you think about that? <laughs> I love it. Hey, let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great provision that you've given to us. And uh, Lord, we... Pray that as we read your word, Lord, we just continue to be encouraged in it. And Lord, speak to us. And Lord, I pray tonight for all of us here. Lord, there are deep, dark, and horrible things. And perhaps every single one of those things right now is covered under the blood. But perhaps there are some here, Lord, that are still struggling with the past and struggling about what happened then and what happened with that person and what I said or what I did or whatever. And Lord, it really doesn't matter. I pray that you would give them the grace tonight to just privately get alone with you and simply ask for your forgiveness for all and every single one of those things. And Lord, you will wash us as white as fuller's soap, as white as snow. That is the truth. And that is what you've come to do to set us free from it, Lord, and to save us from a, a, an eternity of despair and hopelessness and pain and agony. Instead, you've given us your very self and the kingdom of God that endures forever where there are pleasures forevermore. And so we thank you for that and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening.